to the adult class, turn to Romans chapter 16. Verse 1. This is the closing of the book of Romans. We have covered all the book. And we're coming to the greetings of the Apostle Paul to different members in that church. This is going to bless you this morning. It blesses me every time I study it. These people in this chapter are the people of God, their brothers and sisters in the Lord who have gone before us. A lot of times we read their names, but we don't really understand much about their lives. But every one of these names in this chapter is a romance in Christ. We're going to study them today. Amen. Romans 16, 1. It says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, and unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epanetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ for me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus, household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Enermus, Petrobus, Ermus, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogos and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Then he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the innocent or the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timothy, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and 
Sosipater, my kinsman, salutes you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salutes you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We ask you, O oh God, to speak to our hearts, God. Lord, we thank you for this household of faith that we read about today that was in the city of Rome many, many years ago. Dear God, those are the household of faith that are here today in this assembly. Dear God, we thank you for your word, for your blessing, your encouragement, and your strength today. In Jesus' name, and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. first thing that Paul does in greeting the church there in Rome is he commends Phoebe, the sister of the Lord. And Phoebe was the one who had taken from Corinth. Paul was in Corinth at the time that he wrote this book to the Roman church. And Phoebe is the one who delivered it. She was a lady in the church at that particular time. And she took this letter over to the church in Rome. And so Paul is giving her an introduction to the church. He is letting, her, letting them know that, first of all, she is a woman who is a woman of service to the church. The scripture tells us right here that she was a servant of the church, which is in Chantria. Now, that is a port in the eastern portion of Corinth. So he's writing from Corinth. She's a sister in the church of Corinth, and she's going to deliver this message. So Paul is going to give an introduction, a letter in her hand to commend her to the church in Rome. A lot of times when you go for a job, they will call a, a person you put on that application as a, a person to tell uh, the employer about what kind of character you have, what kind of ability you have so they'll know a little bit about you when you try to apply for that job. Or if you were to go to a, another city, then you would, uh, uh, in the ancient world, take letters to people that were known by somebody in the city that you were from, and you would take those letters to some people in this other city that was known, and they, this letter would declare to them what kind of person you were. So the Apostle Paul here is doing the same thing for Phoebe. He is telling the church about this woman. She is, first of all, a servant of the church, which is in Centria. Verse 2 says that you receive her in the Lord, welcome her in the Lord as a fellow uh, believer. It says, as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many of and of myself also. So she was a woman of service to the church. She was a, the word succor there means helper. She was a woman who was a serving lady. She was a giving lady, evidently, because of the word that is used there, succor. That means that she was a woman of wealth and a woman of position. And that she gave of herself, she gave of her finances, she helped the church, she ministered to the church, she served the church of the living God with her very life. If you study the early church, you'll find out that the women in the church were very, very important to the church. 
In fact, today, the women are very important to the church. In fact, if we didn't have women in the church, there might not be a church. Amen? But I'm telling you today that women were very important at early church, whether it be baptismal services or whether it be a, a service of some kind uh, in giving or support of the church or working with their hands, whatever. They were involved in the work of the church. Thank God for the women that were in that early church. They played a big part in the church, just like women today play a big part in the church. If you study the life of Jesus Christ, you will see that when all his disciples took off and left and fled from him, you find there at the cross, his mother Mary was there. And also some other women that had followed Jesus in his ministry. Whenever the disciples left, they didn't leave. They stayed right there. At the time of the resurrection, you see Mary going, Mary Magdalene going to the sepulcher. There she was, and she had an appearance of the Lord come to her. And where were the disciples at that particular time? Well, they were out hiding somewhere, afraid. But the women in the ministry of Jesus Christ throughout his life and even in his death and in his resurrection, the women were always there. So they play a big part in the work of God in the church of the living God. Amen? you study the tabernacle you will find that in that tabernacle which the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ you will find that it is the women that gave their skills and their handiwork to prepare the the curtains and the hangings all the linen stuff that went in that tabernacle those women sold those things together and they gave their time and their effort and so even in the tabernacle of the Old Testament we see women ministering to the tabernacle ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church here we have a woman named Phoebe she is ministering to the church the Bible says that she is a servant if you look at that word specifically it is a deaconess a deaconess she was a servant to the point now I'm not saying today because I don't know if she had an, an official position as a deaconess in the church but the word there that is used servant is a word deaconess now we've heard of men deacons in the church right Deacon is somebody who works in the church, who labors in the church, who serves in the church. But this woman was called a deaconess. Now that might blow some of you ladies' mind. But as we go through here, you'll see that women had positions of authority in the house of the living God. They were placed there by the Lord. Amen? The scripture tells us that she, when she gets there, Paul says, when she does get there, assist her in whatever need she has for she hath been a succor of many and of myself also. Praise the Lord. She served, she was faithful, and she even took this letter. And that's very unusual for a woman to take a letter to a church from, from where she is in Corinth all the way to Rome. But she was a laboring, ministering, serving lady in the house of God that Paul says, I commend you to her. I'm writing you a letter of commendation about this woman. Amen. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'll tell you, that's, that's awesome to me. Because you know what? There's a lot of people that in the house of God that could not receive letters of commendation. I mean, you could not say that about many people in the church of the living God these days. Amen? What, what would be the letter that would accompany you if you were a child of God? What would they say about you? I want you to think about this today. What would your letter read if somebody wrote a letter about you today? And you were going to go to another church in another city. And let's say they called me up and they said, 
Would you write a letter to us and explain this person's walk with God? Would you tell us about how they serve the Lord? What kind of character do they have? Uh, how do they feel about the church? Are they committed? Are they dedicated? Do they serve? And if I were to write a letter about you and I were to write it truthfully, what kind of letter do you think that I would have to write about you? Amen? If you're like Phoebe, you have nothing to worry about. But if you're not like Phoebe, then you've got a lot to worry about. But here's the thing about it, is that the Lord is recording everything that's going on in the church. He knows who are committed, who's are serving, and who's working in the house of the Lord, who's there, who's, who's uh, have a right to be commended for their uh, commitment to God and to His church. He knows all about that. And He's recording it in heaven. Paul recorded it here in the Word of God. It's also recorded in heaven. So what kind of letter would, it, would, would uh, go with you if you went to another church? Anybody here? Think about that. Amen? I, we need to think about that because if there needs to be changes, we need to change. If we want to be commended by God, we need to live in a way that is commendable. Hallelujah. And this woman did. And there was nothing that Paul didn't pull any, any punches. He didn't pull any restraints back. He said, this is the way she is. This is her character. She's faithful. She served the church. She's even gone so far to serve me and to help me. Praise the Lord. And I commend her to you. I, I, I put a commendation on her life. Hallelujah. Then he continues and he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I've got some helpers in the Lord. Thank God for them. Just like as this church has helpers in the Lord. Thank God for the helpers in the Lord. He said, they are helpers in the Lord. Praise God. That, to me, gets a hold of me today. People that are willing to help. Hallelujah. Not, not always wanting to be a drain on the church, but wanting to be a helper of the church. Wanting to give themselves to the church. And he said, when you, whenever you get over there with this letter... Phoebe, I want the, the church in Roman to greet Priscilla and Aquila. Greet them in the Lord for me. Tell them that Paul says hello. Amen. You know, if I was living in those days, I would hope that Paul would, would, would want them to tell me hello. Hopefully, I'm not just a forgotten person in the church that doesn't do anything. Hopefully, I'm known, praise the Lord, in the kingdom of God for serving the Lord. And whenever Paul wrote his letter, hopefully, he would have said hello to me. At least that's what I want. That's what I would have wanted. Amen. So he says, when you get over there, I want you to tell Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, I want you to greet them. He says in verse 4, who have for my life lay down their own necks now at what point in history this happened I have no idea but at some point Aquila and Priscilla loved Paul so much that they laid down their own lives for this man and he said when you get there they are uh, very endeared to me because they laid down their lives for me not just the church not the church of the living God and not for the Lord Jesus Christ only but for Paul himself they were willing to lay down their lives. That's how much they loved him. He said this, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Because here in Rome, you know, they didn't have buildings to go to church at. 
In the early church, the book of Acts, they didn't have church buildings to attend. So they went from house to house and they held church, church in their homes. They didn't have church buildings like we have today. Aren't you thankful we got a church building today to come to uh, where we can fellowship and worship the Lord? But they didn't have that in those days. So they went from place to place, house to house, and had church. That means that somebody in the church had to be willing to open their doors up and say, come on in and let me minister to you. They had an open door, they had an open heart, and they would receive people into their house, and they had a church in their house. Amen. You can have church in your house. It doesn't have to be up here. You can have church in your house. Open your doors up to people out in the world and say, come on in here, let me minister to you. Praise God. And this is what they did. They opened their house up and had a church in their house. He says, now let's go to Acts 18 and let's look at Aquila and Priscilla to get a little idea about their life. Acts 18. There in uh, Romans 16, they're in the church at Rome. So they're in Rome at that particular time. Let's find something out about Aquila and Priscilla. Something very important that you're going to notice about these is this, is that most of the time Priscilla is mentioned first and then it's Aquila. It's Priscilla and Aquila. That goes contrary to custom because normally you have the man named first and then his wife. You have Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. But in the Word of God, you're going to find out that it's totally different when you come to these two. It is Priscilla and Aquila. So she's the dominant uh, person in this relationship. Dominant as far as maybe her spiritual uh, activity and her spiritual service and her spiritual commitment. She's the one in the house that is, is the most on fire for God. It's the woman. Number two, maybe she's a woman who has a background, uh, uh, a lady of, dis, of distinguishedness. She was distinguished, a lady of, of, of high background. And so because of that, she is mentioned first. And we'll get into that a little bit in the more, in, in, in here in just a second. But that is very important, is it not? That we have women here in this chapter of Romans... Of the 26 names that are listed, you have six women that are particularly called by name in that chapter who are in the house of God who play a major role in that church. So let's look at, first of all, Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 1 of Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Okay. And found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus. Now, Aquila was born in Pontus. That was a portion of Asia Minor. You know, the seven churches of the book of Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, all those churches were in that part of the world. So this particular man here, Aquila, was born in Pontus. This was in Asia Minor, lately come from Italy. Now, he's in Corinth at that time. Okay, Paul is in Corinth in Acts 18. And so now he finds a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who are also in Corinth at that time. Where did they come from? He, his, his, he was born in Asia Minor, but it says he had lately come from Italy. He had come from Rome with his wife Priscilla. 
because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So what had happened was in Rome, this emperor Claudius banished all the Jews out of Rome. The scripture tells us that. And what they did was they had to flee for their lives. And they fled over in from Rome over to Corinth. And guess what happened? They met the apostle Paul. You know, have you been, if you had been banished from your ministry, you had been banished from your hometown, and you had to leave that place that you were brought up in, your business was there, your family was there, your ministry was there, and you got kicked out of that place, you might in your mind begin to think that your ministry is over, that your life is, it's ended, there's, everything's gone now I'm kicked out of this situation but listen to me God allowed that to happen and when they left Rome their ministry didn't stop it didn't end it was fixing to be moving its greatest dimension of success they were fixing to meet a man that they would never have met had they stayed in the city of Rome they were going to meet a man who was at that time, the, probably the, one of the greatest apostles in the church, his name was Paul. And it was because that banishment got them out of there that they came in contact with that apostle named Paul. Amen? So we see the Bible tells us now they end up in Corinth. And they minister to a man. I'm not, I don't have time to deal with all of it, but if you read in the last part of Acts 18, they minister to a man by the name of Apollos. They meet Apollos, a man who didn't know all the truth. He only had a portion of the truth. And Aquila and Priscilla take him aside and minister to Apollos and show him the way of God more perfectly. Thank you, Jesus. Go back to Romans. So there they are in Corinth with Paul. And the scripture tells us, in Acts 1 3 that they met each other there because they were tent makers Aquila and Priscilla they worked they built tents and that's what Paul did he made tents so they became real real close friends they became a part of the ministry with the Apostle Paul as you read through the book of Acts you will find out that they left Corinth with whenever Paul left Corinth he went over to Ephesus the church in Ephesus and Aquila and Priscilla went with the Apostle Paul over to Ephesus after they went to Ephesus for a period of time they ended up back in Rome which we find them here right now they're back in Rome okay and then later on if you read 2nd Timothy chapter 4 and verse 19 you will find out that Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Ephesus so these men this man and this woman everywhere you find them they're doing something for the Lord if you find them in Rome they're, they've got a house there that's a church if you find them in Corinth they meet the Apostle Paul and they go on an evangelistic tour with him and minister to churches there if you find them over in Ephesus there they are working and serving in the house of God you find them back over in Rome again serving the Lord so and then finally in Ephesus but everywhere they go you find these people winning souls doing the work of the Lord amen 
ministering to Paul, being there as a helper to him, to the church of the living God. You, you always find them, these people doing that. These are precious souls. These are people who are, are really love stories. They are romances in Christ Jesus. And we read about them in the New Testament. Amen. Praise God. They were willing to lay down their life for Paul. They were willing to serve. And they are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You always find them. And they impacted many, many souls for the kingdom of God. They brought many souls. They brought Apollos into the greater light of the truth. So these people were used by God. You know what? God wants to use every one of us. You don't have to have the title of apostle over your head. But you can be out there reaching out to the souls of men. You can be ministering to people. You can be having prayer meetings in your home. You can do something in the kingdom of God to win the lost. Amen. Let me tell you a little story about Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, let's put it this way. Let's deal with Priscilla first. Priscilla, we got a Priscilla in our church. Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if she turns out like Priscilla of the Bible? But Priscilla is a, is a name that you get from another name, Prisca. P-R-I-S-C-A, Prisca. And Priscilla is an extension of that name. Now, over in Rome, where we find them here, even today there is a church. It is called the Church of Prisca in Aventine there it's still there in Rome today and many believe that that church named itself way back with her name evidently she was involved in the church of the living God there amen so they titled this church I don't know but they called this church Prisca or Priscilla also in Rome there is a cemetery there where a family is buried called the Achillean family. The Achillean family was a, a, a distinguished royal family that was in Rome. And in Rome, there's a cemetery called the, uh, the uh, Priscilla Cemetery. The Priscilla a Cemetery. And in that cemetery, there was a man who was buried. Achillean was his name. Was buried in that cemetery around 91 A.D. And he was of the royal, he was of that family. Now think about this for just a minute. The reason why he was buried in that cemetery in the year 91 AD, because this man, a part of this distinguished family in Rome, became a Christian. He became a born-again believer. And history tells us that he was martyred for his Christian faith, and he was buried in that cemetery, being a part of that that well-known family of Rome. How was that man reached with the gospel? We can look at it two ways. This man who was buried in the cemetery of Priscilla evidently was impacted with the gospel by Priscilla and Aquila. It could be, first of all, that Priscilla and Aquila were slaves to this Achillean family. It also could be true that Priscilla was, because the prominent name in that Achillean family was Prisca. And it's very possible that this woman, Priscilla, came from that very highly distinguished family in Rome. And she met a tent maker by the name of Aquila there in Rome. And this noble woman, when she met him, they married each other, and God pulled down all the barriers. 
He put, amen, he put them on a level plane. And now he's a tent maker, but she's a woman of nobility. But they're joined in Christ now. And what they're doing is going out and serving the Lord and ministering to the Lord. And, and it's possible that she was a part of that Achillean family. And that she ministered to that family and won many of those well-known, well-to-do people to Christ. Amen? Let me tell you something. The, the church of the living God was not just relegated to the poor people. It, it impacted high influential realms in society. Amen. It impacted Aquila. It impacted Priscilla. And they also impacted a man who was a part of that Achillean family and who is buried as a martyr in the cemetery of Priscilla. What an awesome story these are. These are just romances in Christ. What kind of story do you have today in Christ? Everybody has a story. Every one of these names have a story in Christ. The Bible then tells us this. He says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epanetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. He says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. And every one of these names, again, have a story behind them. Mary was a woman who bestowed a lot of labor upon Paul and upon the church there in Rome. Then he says this, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. My kinsmen. These people here, the scripture tells us, were known of the apostles. If you keep reading that verse. The word Junia, let me read it. The word there, if you look at it in your word, the Bible there, it says Junia. Andronicus and Junia. Junia, many, many people have believed that that name is a female name. And that Andronicus, Andronicus and Junia were apostles in the Lord. And that means that if they were apostles, then you got to, if she was a woman, then you have a woman apostle. Now listen, the apostles, when they died in the early church, there, let me just put it this way, there were more than the twelve apostles of the Lamb. You know, some people say, well, when the apostles died out, the gifts of the Spirit stopped operating. There was only the 12 apostles. That's not true. There were more than 12 apostles of the Lamb. Then look at it with me if you would. The Bible says, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are a note among the apostles. They are among the apostles. Hallelujah. Who were also in Christ before me. Now, who are these two people, Andronicus and Junia? They are, first of all, kinsmen of the Apostle Paul. They are related to Paul. And it says that they were in Christ before Paul was in Christ. Now, you go back to the life of the Apostle Paul, and you see Paul there, and he's fighting there. He's standing there giving his consent against Stephen, and Stephen is stoned to death. And he watches a man die for Christ. He watches Stephen call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is dealing with the Apostle Paul. God is convicting his life. And then in Acts the ninth chapter, Jesus appears to Paul and he says, It's hard for you, Paul, to kick against the pricks. You're resisting my call. You're resisting. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life. You are resisting me. You are fighting against me. You are persecuting me, Paul, when you're persecuting the church. And you're resisting. You're kicking against the pricks. That means this. That a prick is an ox goat. And it's like when an ox would kick. It would jab itself. 
because they would stick that spear up there and that ox would kick that spear and hurt its own leg. So Paul, he says, you're like a man who you know that I'm dealing with, but you keep resisting and you keep kicking against that conviction of the Holy Ghost. Amen? But every time you kick against the conviction of the Holy Ghost, you're only hurting yourself. Amen? There's a lot of people that are fighting against resisting the Holy Ghost. They feel convicting power of the Holy Ghost when the Word of God is preached, and they don't like that. And so they try to resist it and kick it. But it's only, you're only hurting yourself when you fight against the Word of God, Paul. You're only hurting yourself when you're kicking against the pricks and resisting that conviction. But listen to me. It wasn't just Stephen's death that allowed God to work in that man's life. He had some family members before he came to Christ, Andronicus and Junia, who witnessed to him and testified to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this was working together in the Apostle Paul's life to bring him to the Lord. Amen? There's some people in your family who are not saved. You're in Christ before them. Witness to them. Testify to them. Let the Holy Spirit convict them and deal in their lives. Because a lot of people are resisting the work of God in their life. They don't want to completely surrender. They don't want to completely submit to His will. But maybe you're a believer who can impact their lives. Amen. He says they were kinsmen in the Lord before Paul was. Verse 8. He says, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. This man's name, when you study the history of his name, you will find out that in... Y'all remember the persecution in Rome? The early church went through persecution? During the time of the persecution, the church went into the underground. They went under the city of Rome. They began to have services in the city of Rome. And there is in that underground church there catacombs catacombs of people who died in the time of that persecution under the ground and they put they buried the Christians in catacombs in the walls and there in the catacomb of Rome there is a tomb there that has this man's name upon it just this one word right here Amplius is there and this sepulcher this catacomb is decorated very beautifully there so many believe that this man right here could have been the man who went underground and served Christ in the catacombs and then died there and they buried him there in the catacombs he's his catacomb is still there today praise the Lord then we go on the Bible says salute Urban our helper in Christ and Stachius my beloved salute Apelles approved in Christ salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod. The grandson of Herod. And his household, whenever this man would die, would have died and passed away, his household would have been swallowed up into the emperor's household. Herod was the grandson of this man right here. So we see that Christianity impacted high realms of life. We keep reading. And the Bible says this in verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Perses which labored much in the Lord. You look at these two ladies. These are twin sisters in the church of the living God. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Their, their names, you know, I love the Apostle Paul because when he's writing, 
He writes about these ladies in Trifina and Trifosa. You know what their names mean? Dainty and delicate. You have twin sisters. They're dainty and delicate. But when he looks at their life, he says, Dainty and delicate, Trifina and Trifosa labored much in the Lord. That, you know what that word means there? It means that they labored to the point of absolute, total exhaustion for God. They gave themselves to the point where they just had no more strength to give their work and labor to God. They were totally exhausted for God in His kingdom. And here their names are dainty and delicate. But Paul says, you live beyond your name. You live as people who are not dainty and delicate. But you live as people who give yourself to utter exhaustion for the service of the living God. Amen. Amen. That's awesome, isn't it? You know what? God wants us to live beyond who we are. We might be known in this world as dainty and delicate, we, but God says you can be mighty warriors and laborers in the kingdom of God. It all depends on you. Amen? It all depends on me. You know, that's a true statement. We can be what we want to be in Christ. You know, sometimes people say, well, we just can't do that. We just can't do it. Most of the time, it's not that we can't do it. Most of the time, it's we don't want to do it. I know that's a fact. Amen? Praise the Lord. But these people wanted to do it. They had everything going against them. Their names even were going against them. They were delicate women, twin sisters in the house of God. But they labored to the point of exhaustion for God. Hallelujah. They went beyond their name. Boy, you know what I feel right now? I feel maybe this is convicting our lives. Dealing with our lives. It dealt with mine. Because when I read about these and I study about these people, it says, it, it, it gives me a desire to be more in Christ. It gives me a desire to labor more fervently. It gives me a desire to, to work and to give. And, and not to say I can't, but to say I just don't want to at times. But God can make you something that you're not. Amen? You might feel like you're dainty and you're delicate today. But God can make you greater than your name. Hallelujah. He says in verse 13, salute Rufus. If you'll go to Mark, the gospel of Mark. In the 15th chapter... Now, this is not one of them services where we're running and shouting and everything, but it's very important and very powerful for us to understand. Verse 21 of Acts 15. <clears throat> Mark, I'm sorry. Mark 15, 21. They compel one Simon of Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. So we've got a man here. Everybody knows about Simon of Cyrene. He's the man that carried the cross of Jesus Christ up to Calvary, up to Golgotha. Everybody knows about Simon of Cyrene. Can you imagine when Simon first got to Jerusalem? He, I'm sure, saved up his money to travel from Cyrene over into Jerusalem to worship God during one of the feast days. 
when he walks into the city of Jerusalem there, he's a free man ready to worship. All of a sudden, he gets caught up in a procession. And this possession, procession, a man is carrying a cross. He's there by accident as far as he understands and as far as he realizes. He's just there at the wrong time, at the wrong place in his mind. you got to listen to me. Because the Bible says he was compelled to take up the cross of Jesus. He didn't walk over there and voluntarily say, Here, let me help you, Jesus, and put the cross on his back and go walking to Golgotha. Somebody had to make him do it. Somebody made Simon of Cyrene go over there and lift that cross off the shoulders of Jesus and to laborly carry that cross up Golgotha. I'm sure in the whole time that he's carrying the cross of Jesus, He's just, he's probably full of bitterness. He's probably full of anger. That he had to be the one that had to carry the cross. His emotions are running rampant inside of him. How did I get in this place? And how did I get in this mess? And how did I get in this situation? And why am I involved in this? Being compelled to take up his cross. But something happened evidently to this man's life. His mind changed. Because as he carried the cross of Jesus Christ, he realized that he wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was at the right place at the right time because he listens to Jesus. He looks at Jesus and the spirit of Jesus Christ impacts his life. And by the time he gets that cross up there to Golgotha, he's come face to face with the Lord of glory. And his life is going to be completely changed. And how do I know that? Because in Romans, the scripture says in the 16th chapter, Greet Rufus. And Rufus and Alexander were the sons of Simon of Cyrene. If you read Acts 11, verse 20, the Bible tells us that men came from Cyprus and Cyrene to minister into Antioch. They're the first Christian ministers at Antioch. And could it possibly have been that that was Alexander and Rufus? And maybe even Simon himself went to Antioch and ministered there and preached the gospel. But here we see them in, in Rome. Rufus is in Rome. And he's there as a saint of God. Because Simon met Jesus on the road to Golgotha. I don't read about Alexander in, in that particular chapter. What happened to Alexander? Well, I read about in Acts chapter 20 where Paul, they were going to get Paul and rip him to pieces and persecute Paul. But I read about a man by the name of Alexander who stands up for Paul in that place where a lot of people are gathered ready to tear him to pieces. And he stands up for the apostle Paul. A man by the name of Alexander could have been the son of Simon of Cyrene. Amen. I wonder how many of y'all... <laughs> have been compelled to bear the cross of Jesus Christ and you got bitter about it you, you know listen to me that can happen to anybody we can get bitter about service and stuff and the battles that we fight maybe we're carrying a cross and we're we're kind of resistant that and we don't and I've been there and we don't like that but all of a sudden Christ and Jesus comes and he packs our life he does something in our spirits and it changes our whole family huh it just happened that Simon just was there that day at that time. It didn't just happen. God was in it. Listen to me. God appoints rendezvous. God appoints times in your life when you weren't even looking for Him. And He, came, he comes in your life and He says, bear my cross. And you take it up reluctantly and you said, okay, I'll do it. Until you get to know Him. 
And then you get to know him and you, and you freely take up the cross. Nobody has to compel you. You do it automatically. That's what Christianity is all about. Doing it automatically. Nobody has to tell you to do it. You just love Christ. He's impacted your life. And you're going to serve him. You're going to carry your cross. Nobody's going to make you do anything. And nobody can make you do anything. You do it because you have met Jesus. And it'll impact your life and your family's life. You don't know how it's going to have all work out in the end. That's why you need to be faithful at all times. Don't, when the cross gets heavy, throw it off your shoulder and say, I give up. You don't know how it's going to end. Simon, don't get mad and run off and leave the cross there. You don't know how it's going to all end up. Jesus has it in hand. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him. And He'll take care of the future. Amen? As I said, all of these, all of these names have a, a romance about them. He says this right here in verse 14. sister and Olympus and all the saints which were with them one name Nereus right there he was a slave of another distinguished man a Roman consul a leader of Rome this man's name was Flavius this man because of his Christian belief he was persecuted he was martyred for his faith but he was a Roman consul he was like the leader, the governor of Rome. But one day he found Jesus and he surrendered completely to the Lord and it cost him his job, it cost him his life it, and he was martyred for Jesus Christ. Another, his wife Domitia was also taken at that time a woman with royal blood flowing in her veins and she was banished, banished because of her Christian faith. And later on they found that this man, Nereus, was the slave of those two. Could it be that this man won them to Christ? Hallelujah. God has people in places at specific times that are appointed by Him to impact people's lives. And we can miss those chances. We can look at their lives and say, oh, they're, they're too high. They're the Roman consul, you know. They wouldn't be willing to live for the Lord. They wouldn't be willing to die for the Lord. And you win them to God and you find out they're the ones that get martyred. They're the ones that are really the strongest for God. Amen. How many people has God put in your life that you looked at and said, they don't want to do this? Living for God's too hard. Holiness, that's, it's restricted and it's, it's tough and nobody would want to do that. Nobody would want to follow that way. And you win them to God and they're the strongest for the Lord. They live holy. They live committed and they serve him with all their hearts amen you never know the bible says in verse 16 salute one another with a holy kiss the churches of christ salute you so isn't it awesome that paul would take time to mention throughout this chapter 26 different names six of them women 13 of those names were found in the emperor's role 
in Rome. They were written down. Everyone, 13 of them were written down in the Roman roll of the emperor's household. If you look in Philippians, the scripture tells us, Philippians chapter 4, here's what Paul said. <clears throat> Philippians 4. Here's what Paul says. Verse 22, he says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And 13 of them in Rome are listed in Caesar's household. They were won by Christ. Listen to me. You set a Paul down, you set these people of the early church down with anybody, and you know what they do? They witness. They tell people about Christ. You put a Paul in a prison cell, chain him up to guards, and he tells those Roman emperors, bodyguard, about Christ, and they walk out of there converted. You put a, a Roman soldier by Paul, and he, he witnesses to them, Roman soldiers of the emperor's household, and he, he tells them about Christ. He baptizes them every, whenever the waters, the floods, come in there and fill his dungeon up with water. He baptizes us, his, history tells us, baptize those men in that water, in that dungeon. Amen. He impacted the gospel, impacted the world. And let me tell you, it can impact the world today. For the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. If it impacted my life, it can impact somebody else's. Amen. If I want to live committed to Him, there's somebody out there that wants to too. You with me today? If this inspires me to do more and be more for Christ... It'll inspire somebody else to do more and be more in Christ. I want to tell you something that came to me as I was studying reading this. These people found out the secret to living. What would cause them to die, lay down their lives, many of them, and be persecuted? For Christ. What would cause dainty and delicate people to labor to the point of exhaustion? What would cause a Phoebe to deliver from her country in Corinth all the way to Rome a letter to these Roman people? What would cause these people to be so committed and so dedicated and so totally overgiven to God? They found the secret to living. They found out that it, listen, I like nice things just like everybody else does. And I like plenty to eat and I like friends and stuff like that just like everybody else does but I'm going to tell you something those things do not give you ever a long going lasting contentment your family yeah it's wonderful to have a family but your family can't give you long lasting contentment you might be a millionaire tonight today but if you don't have Christ and you're not totally sold out to him you're not happy you're not com content You might have everything this world has to offer, but if you're not sold out to Christ, you're not happy. 
You know, I'm telling you. The secret to true joy and true happiness and true life is your abandonment to Christ. Why else could they do that? It was total fulfillment to do it, to be a part of the call of God. To be a part of the church of the living God. Yeah, the world looks at the church and despises the church, but to be a part of it is true life. They look at a person who's committed and dedicated to God and they laugh at him. But they found the reason for living. And people around them, you know, they up front look like, hey, everything's cool. We're so happy. But without Christ, they haven't found the reason for living. Because until you find the reason for living, you don't have a reason to die. Hallelujah. The only thing that's going to prepare you to die is to get prepared in living. And that's total abandonment to Christ. I know what I'm talking about, church. How many times we thought, if I could just get this person or I could just get this thing in my life, I know I will be happy. And you get that person or you get that thing in your life and you pray to God that God would remove them. The problem is, you're not going to get happy until you get God completely, totally in your life and you're totally surrendered to God. And when you get God in your life and you're totally surrendered to Him, you've got a reason for living and you can live in hell and still be happy. Come on. People say, I'm just not happy anymore. We'll get abandoned to God. Because until you get there, you'll never be happy. I know what I'm talking about. Because when I'm not, and there's times in my life where God is calling me on. He's saying, I'm not going to settle for this in your life. I'm not going to settle for this lack of service and this lack of commitment in your life. I just will not settle for it. And he deals with me and he convicts me. And he's working on my life. And you know what? Until I get there, until I do what he's telling me to do, I am a miserable man. Amen? If you know how to teach Bible studies and you're not doing it, you're a miserable person. If you know how to pray and you're not doing it, and I've been there. I know. When I've missed prayer, I'm a miserable man. Amen? And nobody can conquer me. Amen? Nobody can straighten me out. Only God and my surrender to God will straighten me out. You can try all you want to to straighten me out, but you'll never accomplish it. Mm -mm. The only thing that will, uh, will conquer you is you and God. Amen? And that's why I'm preaching you this message this morning because I can't make you committed. You can't make me committed. You can't conquer my flesh. I can't conquer your flesh. But if you'll get sold out to Jesus Christ, you'll have the ability to conquer your own life and you'll have a reason to live. Amen? Look at a man, Solomon, who said, man, I've got everything you could think of. I, 
I got silver and gold. I can walk out of the streets and pick up rocks uh, off the streets that are made of silver. I'm wealthy. I've got 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I've, I've been involved in gardening. I've planted and I've grown trees. And I've horticulture. And I have been involved in agriculture. And everything that you can think of that you would think that would satisfy man. I've got plenty of money. I've got plenty of women. I've got a big house to live in. I'm the king of a kingdom. But you know what he said? It's all empty. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. I want to tell you something. You can be a Solomon. And finally you're going to get to a point where you recognize that it's not in the things that this world offer. It's only in total abandonment to Christ. People go to psychologists all the time to try to figure out what's wrong with them. Not just the down and outers, but the up and coming. Why am I so miserable? <laughs> got a good home, got a good family. Why would Elvis Presley commit or not commit suicide? Literally, he did taking all those drugs. Why? He had fame, he had wealth, popularity, empty. They asked him about it. Gave his asked him about taking all these drugs, and he said, "I need them. I know they're destroying me, but I need them." Why can't we take the hint from people who have gone through it and who are even, some of them, not even alive today? Why, why can't we take the Bible and, and read about a man named Solomon who said, it's all empty. And why do we need to read from the book of Romans and read about people who were willing to die for Christ? To come to an understanding that that's what living is all about. And until you get to that point, until I get to that point in my life, I will be a miserable individual. And I make those around me miserable. Amen. So these people give me encouragement. They, they convict my life. But they help me understand there's a reason for living. And it's only found in Christ. Amen. Whew, man, God's good. I look at a man, I look at Brother Sister Edmonds that came and preached for us. Missionaries to Taiwan. I left it all behind. Some of the most contented people you'll ever find. Amen. Have peace in the midst of battle. But they found the reason for living. And that's abandonment to Christ. Why else would they go to a foreign field, leave family and friends? Whenever they came over to the house just before they left, we wept. We felt that kindred spirit, you know, with them. And we wept as they left. And the family that they were visiting here in Odessa, they are from Odessa. And that family said they wept because they're going back to Taiwan. This, her daughter's going back to Taiwan. They wept. What would cause them to do that? And say, don't cry for us. Let us go. Don't restrain us. This is what living's all about. 
Jesus said, don't weep for me when he's carrying that cross. He says, weep for you and your children. I'm right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. I'm going to die in the will of God. Don't weep for me. I don't need your sympathy and your pity. You need to be wept for, and you need to weep for your children. Don't weep for me. I'm right where I need to be in the will of God. Praise the Lord. And Simon met that in Jesus Christ. He met that. Amen. Paul says, verse 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions, offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now, all of a sudden, after he gets through with this salutation, this greeting, he goes back and he uses apostolic authority and he says, I want you to do two things. He said, I want you to mark people who cause divisions. Mark people who cause offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. And what do you do? You avoid them. Amen? Now listen, listen just a minute. Why would Paul say that? He was a good pastor. Because he was a good pastor, he warned them in advance. And he said, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. You know why he's doing that? You know why he's saying that? Because he understood that prevention is better than cure. Amen? It's better to warn and preach against things and against offenses and divisions. It's better to prevent it by preaching and warning than to get yourself right in the midst of a problem and just because you ignored the situation, it explodes in your church and your church is divided. It's a lot easier to prevent something than to cure the problem. Paul understood that as a good minister. He said, you mark those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And he said, avoid them. Leave them alone. Those are strong words. But you see, he understood the importance of prevention. Thank you, Jesus. He says, verse 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You know, how many times have you come to church and I've preached against things that are going on in the religious world? You know why I'm doing that? I'm trying to prevent people getting swallowed up into that. There's people out there preaching the gospel that are not preaching the gospel. And you must be warned. Amen? I don't, listen, I don't like to be a bearer of bad news. You, are you with me today? I love an encouraging word from the Lord. Are you with me? I love victory times. I love happy times. But I also am called by God to warn, to prevent something from happening in your life. It's a lot harder to cure it than to prevent it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Man, I preach services... <laughs> A few weeks ago, I preached on a Sunday night that, man, judgment of God, things to come, get ready. Some of y'all are looking at me like, why are you preaching that to us? 
some of y'all left the church saying, well, I didn't feel anything in that service. <laughs> Why? Why are you preaching that to us? I don't feel sin in my life, you know. Prevention. Not cure, prevention. Somebody say, praise the Lord. We need it in the life that we're living. We live in a world that's so fragmented and so full of confusion. We need to hear from the word of the Lord. Amen. Verse 19. For your obedience, he says to the Roman church, your obedience has come abroad unto all men. Hallelujah. They're talking about you. Listen to me. You know what? People are going to talk about this assembly. And nobody has to go out here and tell anybody out there really what's happening. News travels somehow. And if this church is on fire, committed, and holy, people in the, in the city know about it. If it's a backslidden, lukewarm, non-truth preaching church, people in the world know about it. Paul said, your reputation is known throughout the world. A reputation of, as a person uh, in a church of obedience and maturity. Ooh, glory to God. Amen. I want that kind of reputation, praise the Lord. No woman or no man lives and dies under themselves. What you do affects the reputation of the body of Christ. And if you don't live holy, it affects the body of Christ. And people think that that church does not preach holiness if you don't live holy. There's a reputation. It's the reputation of the church. Not this preacher. I could care less. But it's the reputation of the church of the living God. That's a holy church. That's a committed church. That's an obedient church. They love God. Amen. Are anybody here with me today? Amen. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I know about your obedience. I know where you are, but I want to warn you here. I want to prevent some things. Hmm. Be wise that which is good, simple concerning evil. I don't have to do all the evil things and sinful things to help somebody. I don't have to take acid to try to help the, the addict that's on acid. I don't have to get involved in the sin of the people to reach them. Concerning evil, I need to be simple-minded. I don't need to know all about that. Hallelujah. Just live my life out for Christ. Committed to Him. They'll see the good. And the God of peace, look at verse 20. And I'm, we're going to close here. The God of peace, somebody say the God of peace. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That means the devil's raging. That means the devil's fighting. If he's already been bruised under their feet, the Lord wouldn't say that he would be bruised shortly under their feet. Anybody here? The devil's not in the abyss right now, caged up for a thousand. You know, he's not in there caged up. He's roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. We are in a spiritual battle, and he wants to destroy you and your family. And you're in battle, and I'm in battle. I'm in battle. I, I, 
beg you to pray for me. I'm in battle. Every day I'm in battle. You know why? Because I've got an enemy to my soul. There's an enemy to this church. Amen. It's not all hunky-dory, wonderful. It's battle time. It's fighting time. Amen. Because the devil's raging. But he said, listen, the God of peace. You know what peace is? It's not surrendering to the evil. Listen, you surrender to the evil. You, that's one way of getting peace. Surrendering into the evil. Give in to the wrong. Give in to the evil. And then peace will come. And the devil will come to you and put the pressure on to try to make you give in to it. To the evil. And you think, okay, I'll just give in. You wave that flag, the devil don't wave a flag, he'll destroy you. Do you hear what I said? He can cause you to wave a flag, but he don't wave no flags. He'll destroy you. So what do you do then? If it's the answer is not giving in to the evil to get peace, what, what do you do then? You fight the good fight of faith, and in the midst of the battle, you're going to have peace. See, Christian peace is not that which joins and gives in to the evil. Christian peace is overcoming the evil. Somebody say overcome. That's what real peace is, when you overcome, not give in. Woo, praise the Lord. So he is the God of peace to help us overcome. Man, I'm going to overcome by the grace of God. I've made up my mind I'm going to overcome. I'm not giving in. You've got to get like that. You've got to get determined. You've got to get righteous indignation. You've got to get angry enough to do something about your situation. You've got to get angry enough to pray about it. You've got to get angry enough to get full of the Holy Ghost. You've got to get angry enough to do the will of God. Because there is a righteous indignation. Because the Bible says, be ye angry. That's a command. Be ye angry and sin not. He said, be angry but don't sin. We need to be angry in a right way. Because the anger in a right way will produce righteousness. Peace overcomes. Hallelujah. He said, Satan's going to be bruised under your feet shortly. Jesus did it on the cross. He crushed the head of the serpent. We are his body, the church. And I, because I'm a part of the body of the church, ultimately right now I might be battling. And it may be until Jesus comes and takes me out of this world. But ultimately the body of Christ will crush the head of the devil. And he will find his place in a lake of fire. And the church will be ruling and reigning throughout eternity. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you're looking for an easy road, Christianity is not an easy road. It's not, it's not for cowards and it's not for the weak. Come on. You know who true men are? Men of God. It's easy to live like a devil in the world. But it's hard to be a man of God. Jesus was a true man. They crucified him. They he had to carry his own cross. He, had to, he prayed and he whipped. There he was whipped, but he was a man and he went to the cross. And we need men of God. 
I want to be a man of God. The macho men out there that don't live for God aren't men. Uh-uh. It takes a man to live for God, and it takes a woman to live for God. I'm glad Jesus is able to defeat the devil under our feet. How many of y'all got in battle? Oh, when you felt him breathing down your neck. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. How many of y'all have been in such turmoil and wrestling and battle that you can feel him in your hands and in your grip and you're like this? And you know you can't let him get you down. You've got to pin him. That's what prayer is. It's pinning the devil in your life. Saying, he's not going to pin me, God, You by the power of your Holy Spirit. You're going to give me the victory over the devil. I'm going to pin him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. All these people right here, hey, willing to die, willing to serve, willing to live, willing to battle. God said, eventually, you're going to make it because I'm going to give you the victory. He said, Tim, he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? The grace of God, that'll keep you going. <laughs> Recognize how wonderful he is. Grace, unmerited favor of God. I don't deserve favor today. I'm telling you, I don't. I'm, amen, are you with me today? But it's unmerited, and he comes with favor and forgiveness and that grace and his love and just who he is causes me to go on. I cannot sin against the love so great as that. Amen. Timothy, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you with Paul. They're saluting them. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. He wrote this. He dictated it as Paul. How would you like to be the one taking down? Would you like to be the one to take down every word I say? A lot of it, you'd, you'd probably say, no, I don't need to include that one. <laughs> Let me erase that one. <laughs> but see, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and what he said came from the Lord himself. And this man, Tertius, just kept writing down. Keep on preaching, Paul. Because, Paul, you're, you're, you're half blind and you just, you, you're sick. You need somebody there to do some recording for you. You need somebody to do some of the work, Paul. And there he is. And in his letters, the Bible says at the end of his letters, he would, he would close out the letter. And they would know it was Paul's because his letters was big and large and sprawling. They could recognize that's Paul's letter right there. That's his signature. That's his handwriting right there. Amen. But Tertius wrote the epistle. And Gaius, my host. You see, he needed some place to stay, didn't he? He needed a place to live. He's there in Corinth. He don't have a home in Corinth. He's in a, a missionary. Gaius says, come on in, Paul. You can live with me. And Gaius was his host. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? 
I'm going to close in just a minute. I just got to tell you one, one thing real quickly. These people come to my mind. People in Crane, Texas, you, might, you probably don't even know who they are. But there was Brother Pete and Sister Becky. And that whole church, I thank God for that church in Crane. But those two people, when we, we, didn't, we were going up there and we weren't pastoring that church, but we were ministering in that church, you know what they did? They opened their doors on Sundays and said, come on into our house. You stay with us. You know, and I mean, they treated us so wonderful. It took work for them to do that. They prepared food every Sunday. Sometimes we would take them out. But they were committed to the work of God. And they opened their doors to us. And I'm telling you, I'm forever grateful for those people. I can never repay them. But someday in heaven, Brother Pete and Sister Becky, their names are written in heaven and recorded. Because they were like Gaius. They opened up their doors to us when we didn't have a place to go. Thank God for the people of God. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, he's the secretary of the city, greets you. Quartus, a brother in the Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So after all of that, if I could sum up your life, or you, let me just do it this way. If you could sum up your life with one sentence like Paul summed up the lives of these people, what would that one sentence be? What would it be in my life and what would it be in your life? One sentence. Amen. Doesn't this inspire you? It inspires me. And I'm not the greatest deliverer of it. And, the, you know, I'm not one to promote a lot of emotion. But I'm telling you this right now. This inspires me. To see these people's lives. Here's what he says in closing the book. He said, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Aren't you glad that God can keep you standing? In the midst of battle, he can keep you standing. Praise the Lord. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. He said, there's power to keep you standing and the revelation of a mystery that was hidden from the ages is now being made plain to you in the book of Romans it's been shown to you every chapter declares the revelation of a mystery that was hidden in God in the Old Testament and what is that mystery what is the revelation of that mystery Matthew 13 the Bible says the parables the seven parables are called the mystery a form of the kingdom of God you see the Old Testament saints those prophets they didn't see the church age they saw Gentile saints getting saved, Romans 15 tells us that. They saw that God had a plan for Gentiles to be saved. They saw that God had a plan for Jews to be saved. But they did not see the church age that we live in right now. Ephesians 3, read about it. They saw, they didn't see where the Jew and the Gentile would come together and be one body in Christ. That the church would be the body of Christ. Because Jesus said... He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church is not a continuation of the Old Testament. The church is something brand new that Jesus said he would build. And those prophets didn't see this age. 
They saw Jews saved. They saw Gentiles saved. But they didn't see the church age. And so Jesus said, let me give you parables in Matthew 13 that are declaring the mystery form of the kingdom. Something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but now is revealed, called the church. He said, parable after parable after parable represents this age that we now live in right now called the church age. While the king is absent. Did you hear me? The church age is not the kingdom age when Jesus comes back and sets up his throne on the earth. He's present then. That's the kingdom age. The Old Testament prophesied about that. But while the king's gone, there's another kingdom taking place, and it's called the church of the living God. And it wasn't show, it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but now it's being revealed. Amen. While in his absence, <laughs> there's something on the earth, and it's called his body. And it was a mystery that was hidden from prophets. Matthew 13, Jesus said, and I'm a part of it. Awesome. If you read those parables, Jesus said in the mystery form of the kingdom during this age in which we live right now, there's a treasure hid in the world. It's called Israel. He died for him. He paid the price. He bought the field. He paid for the world. He paid for the treasure in the world, Israel. They're in the world right now, scattered, but he died for them. Jesus isn't through with Israel. Then the next parable, he says, the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. He died for the pearl. The pearl is the church. Anybody here right now? That's what the mystery was. And I don't have time to get into all this, but there's 11 mysteries in the New Testament. But this is one of them right here. That Gentile and Jew would come together and be one in Christ called the church in the, while he's gone, while he's sitting on the throne in heaven. <clears throat> Verse 26, but now is made manifest. It was a mystery that wasn't known, but now it's known. It's made manifest. It's revealed. Amen. By the scriptures of the prophets. What prophets? Apostle prophets. See, every time these men woke up or spoke divine revelation that was not revealed before, they were speaking as prophets. All the apostles were prophets. He said, now it's revealed by the prophets. Peter's revealing things. John's revealing things. Anybody here today? There's still prophets in the New Testament church. Hallelujah. He said, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for obedience of the faith. You know, faith is not just mental accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and going about your life. True faith is obedient faith. Anybody with me today? Obedient faith. That's why it's been revealed. Verse 27, last verse of the book of Romans, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. He just closes the book out rejoicing in the Lord. What an awesome, awesome book Romans is. To me, it's the greatest book in the whole Bible. Along with the other 65, it's the greatest book in the Bible. And I have enjoyed teaching it to you. Amen. You're not going to remember it. The only way you can remember it is go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. 
And I went through it quickly. I went through one chapter a week. I went through it quickly. You can spend 10 years in that book and still not get everything. I'm telling you the truth. Admittedly, 10 years in that book goes beyond my knowledge of the book. But it's that deep. Because, listen to me, everything in the Bible is addressed in that one book. You get an understanding of redemption. You get an understanding of prophecy. You get an understanding concerning Israel, concerning the Gentiles. You get an understanding of all major themes of the Bible in that book. And I just finished preaching it to you. And no wonder why Paul said, He's a wise God. He's worthy of glory. Woo. He not only planned it, but He did it. He not only planted and he did it, but now he is given revelation about it. Ooh, he's an awesome God. No wonder those people were willing to lay down their lives. They had a revelation of God. Amen. How wise he is, how glorious he is. You know, when I come into church, I have a problem with my flesh. And you know what that problem is? My flesh doesn't understand how awesome he is. My spirit knows, but my flesh don't. And at some point, my spirit's got to break through and begin to reach out and give him glory and give him praise and recognize how awesome he is. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for this church, God. Thank you for every woman of God. Thank you for every man of God. Lord, we pray for each other right now in Jesus' name. God, you know the battles that are taking place in so many lives today. There are people, God, today that needed to be in this service that aren't here. We pray for them right now, Lord Jesus. Give us all a revelation and an understanding, God, that living is abandonment to you. We thank you for the opportunity, God, today to know the truth. Oh, Jesus, but help us put shoe leather to it, God, and live it out. I thank you, God, for the work that you have begun in our church and every member and every soul. The work that you've begun in me, God, you shall complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Whew. Who are we, God, that you'd be mindful of us? We are your church, a church glorious, a church triumphant. We are a part of the greatest thing in the earth, the church of the living God. We're baptized in your name, therefore called by your name, filled with your glorious presence, God. Thank you for the privilege, God, today to be in this place to say that we are yours give us the strength and the grace that we need God as you have promised in your word to make it through every battle every obstacle in Jesus name God if you be for us 
who can be against us? Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Aren't you glad you're a part of the Church of the Living God? It's the greatest thing. We're a part of something that even John the Baptist wasn't a part of. He said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. He said, I'm not, not the bridegroom, not a part of the bride. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. But listen, we're not just a friend of the bridegroom. We are a part of the Church of the Living God. Amen. Jesus said this, He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. You know why? Because John was just a friend of the bridegroom. You're the bride. Woo! Man, amen, amen. Amen. Remember tonight at 5 o'clock, that video, 6 o'clock, I'm trusting the Lord, believing in the Lord to move tonight. I, ooh, I'm excited about the message I can't tell you how excited I am about the message. If you want to be ministered to tonight, you need to be here in the house of the Lord. I believe God is going to minister to His people tonight. I'm excited, amen, about the word of the Lord. So God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.